As an experiment, I took a couple of clients that had been long-term with me that I had a good relationship with that I could say, look, I don't know that much about it. I'm investigating some research, but I think this could be really good with your emotional eating. And we plotted time for four of them for the month of August to use CBD ahead of time. So before they left the office, if they were emotional eaters at night, um, right after they put their kids to bed, to sort of preempt those binge eating moments. All four clients had a complete turnaround in their health and behavior when they were using CBD. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's episode is around one of the most important topics that applies to every single person listening, and that is wellness and health. Brooke Elpert is the author of The Sugar Detox, as well as she's been on uh, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, just about every show she has been on at one time or another, and hails out of New York. So we discuss her book, but we also discuss her husband's illness, which was debilitating, and that really got her involved with another industry. And I will let you listen or read the show notes to find out what that's about. Now, in the meantime, one of the things that we do discuss is are we don't mention a lot in the shows but CRG has the stress indicator in health planner our wellness and stress assessment it has 120 questions and so we're going to have a link in the show uh, notes it also has a detailed uh, what we call health planner so you have strategies that come out of it and so it's been recently re revised and as some of you know I have a diploma in nutrition and genetics and so that uh, all of that has been combined into giving you a benchmarking tool to identify in five categories your stress levels and some of those like include interpersonal stress uh, work stress time stress lifestyle stress both from a recreational and activity point of view and nutritional point of view which Brooke and I discuss so we thank you as always for being a listener if you like what we're doing please pass it on share it with everybody uh, out there it, it's what's interesting in these shows is that when listeners share or make a comment or rate the show it just gets ranked higher so it's very much appreciated whatever platform you're listening on that you were able to uh, potentially do that with and for us and then finally if you are a professional developer and you want or an individual who just wants to go to the next level I'm just encouraged that you would consider our three-day certification we had just you know I don't know when you're going to be listening to the show but we just recently held another one and of course we have them on a regular basis but you know the comments at the end of the event which are somewhat humbling is that this is the best workshop that they have ever attended ever ever and so we say whoa and even words like profound and because we get into the tools and resources so if you're consult consultant leader coach trainer uh, just consider potentially participating and find out more from us at some level or another so that you have the information you need to decide if you want to join us so thank you again for being a secrets of success listener here's our show with Brooke welcome to the secrets of success podcast I'm your host dr. Ken keys well as you know health and wellness is one of the topics we cover and today's guest is going to really share her personal story her passion around it and how she got involved with it through really the dynamics of having a family member being unable to be treated through normal sort of uh, processes or medicine or wellness or or if we just talk about the healthcare system in general so welcome to the show Brooke Albert thanks Brooke. so much for having me now Brooke you've you're kind of famous because you've been on Dr. Oz you've been on Good Morning America you've been on the Today Show so congratulations on all that traction so obviously you have a message that people want to hear it's true it's true I've done a lot of press over the last 15 years um, and I have to say getting to speak to like the masses is so incredibly rewarding mm. well we've already had sort of an off-air quick discussion and so individuals that are listeners secrets of success listeners you're going to enjoy Brooke today I've already made that determination Brooke <laughs> that you're going to be awesome 
So as part of this, Brooke, we like to get to know people before they were famous or before your expertise. I mean, you've authored the book, The Sugar Detox, Lose the Sugar, Lose the Weight, Look and Feel Great. And so we'll get to that, as well as your work around CBD. And so some people said, well, what's that? Well, we'll, we'll answer that here in a minute. So where's like Brooke from? Like, what's your, what's your story growing up in... Where were you born? Those kinds of things and just sort of your family of origin. Oh, I, I love this direction we're going in. Um, well, I was raised outside of New York, out in Long Island. Very traditional family growing up. Um, I have two really, really supportive parents who, I, I guess they'll let me fall, but they just sort of believe that I can just keep going. And I think it's just instilled a real entrepreneur uh, thought process in me that I'm really grateful for. Mm. Um, and then I was a competitive equestrian all through my childhood and through college. Um, a jumper or cross Yeah, I was a show jumper. So I traveled all over. I had in high school, I had a special schedule. So I'd only have to be in school half the day. So that the rest of the time I could be with my horses and training. So um, yeah, it was a really, it was a really Beautiful childhood, wow. I have to say. I've never yeah. had a show jumper on. Now, just to clarify, audience, Brooke wasn't doing the jumping. The horse was. She was just riding the horse. <laughs> I just hung on for dear life. <laughs> of course. Of course. I grew up on a dairy farm, so I have a little agricultural background on that side of things. So um, interesting in that. So then show jumping and mm -hmm. having a special arrangement in high school so you could get away. How'd that occur? Uh, I needed more hours at the barn, and you know, homeschooling wasn't really on an option at the time. So we were just able to arrange that for my last two years of high school, my last three periods were always free. So I could leave the campus really early and go to my horses and get to training. So it, it worked out well, and it kept me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of pros in having your kids very involved in sports not necessarily as involved as I was, but just in general. I think it, it, keeps, you, um, it keeps you focused and out of the riffraff. Well, if you think about it, you know, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm with chores aren't an option. It wasn't like, well, I don't feel like going to the game today or I can't play. No, no, the horses need to be fed. And exactly. so those things are a requirement. So I suspect that it developed some kind of discipline. It did. And, you know, teenagers are inherently selfish, right? That's sort of the age to be selfish. And I really couldn't be um, because I had like live animals dependent on me. So I think it really was a great um, lesson to learn young. Mm. So high school, wrap it up. Then what do you do mm -hmm. for college and university? So I went to college in Baltimore. I went to a very small school, but so I could continue riding for school. Um, and I was a psychology major and I graduated college and I, my first job out of college was actually working for Vogue magazine um, and I was at Vogue and at Condé Nast which is like the big mega giant publisher that runs all of the big fashion magazines for a couple of years before I decided that I need needed to sort of find a different direction um, for a future for myself and that's when. How does when that work out with your horses? Did they actually have stables on campus? So I no longer had my own horses, but the college I went to, I would get basically a project horse every year. And um, I'd have a horse that I'd be helping train while competing for our team. So it was an intercollegiate team that I was part of, and we traveled, and it was great to be part of a team um, after all those years of really com competing individually. Who knew? Wow. Yeah. Is, yeah. is that fairly prevalent uh, throughout the U.S., where some of these teams are around and some of the colleges then? You know, it's, a, it's specific colleges that have it. I wouldn't say every school has it because you also need the facilities and space for it. Um, but there's a bunch of colleges that you'd be surprised um, that have it. Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. So what did you do with your horses once you headed to Vogue? Um, so my horses stayed at school. Uh, you know, by then none of them were officially mine. They were just sort of given to me by the school to work with, and then they were still you know, the property of mm -hmm. my college. Um, and then I, I truly haven't been actively on a horse um, ever since then. So moving to New York City, it's a different lifestyle once I came here. So um, my riding days were pretty, pretty behind me. It was sort of a, when you think about 
you know, your involvement with show jumping. What do you think were some of the things you learned from that discipline that would benefit the audience today? You know, I think what's most interesting is now that I am a mom of two kids myself and supporting my daughters through their sports, I'm finding that a lot of other parents are shocked at how dedicated my family already is to my oldest daughter's sport. But for me, it was really how I was raised, that you find a passion and you go for it. Um, and that these are the rules, this is the times you have to be there early mornings or just that, the early mornings. It's not a punishment or a prison sentence. It's This is what you do to achieve your goal. And I think that having horseback riding, which was such an intense discipline to follow of early mornings and long days and responsibility, I, I think it's set me up for parenting, <laughs> parenting pretty well. But also I think as, uh, you know, as a... a founder of two startup companies, I think that it's really prepared me to what putting in the time and that discipline looks like. So a lot of this, a lot of the startup world for me has not been a shock to the system because it was really very much how I was raised and that dedication to whatever you choose to commit to. Well, I can concur with that being on a dairy farm and being responsible for chores. The cows didn't go away morning and night because you weren't feeling good. You out you went with it. So what's the what's the sport that your daughter's involved with? Well, my oldest daughter is a figure skater. So a little different than riding, but, <laughs> but falling uh, but, is still part of both of them. Of course. We both fell down a lot, yeah. And you know, skating being big as part of our cultures here, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of discipline into confirming or not confirming, but really developing the skills in that space for sure. Absolutely, yeah. So, college finished. What were you doing at Vogue magazine? So I was the, in the editorial department and I was the assistant to the beauty director. It was my first job. So it's very much the lifestyle of the movie The Devil Wears Prada <laughs> um, and really supporting the beauty director. And I had my own pages and articles that I got to work on and write. And it was a really fun way to get introduced to New York City as an adult. You know, growing up outside the city, this was very familiar to me. But working in such an environment where social lives were um, intertwined with work so much and your nightlife, you know, was part of the job requirement. Um, Mm. It it was a a great way to spend the first couple of years of adulthood in the city, for sure. Mm. So then what happened after Vogue or where did that go? So it, it, while I was at Vogue, I um, had gone to see a dietitian because I was not feeling very well, probably the lifestyle change from college to working and long hours and stress, and I just didn't feel great. And I remember sitting with this dietitian, and I looked at her, I was like, wait, this is what you get to do every day? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, wait, you get to talk about food and recipes and exercise. I'm like, this is amazing. How do I get this job? You know, and I was very inspired. Um, so while I was at Teen Vogue at the time, I applied to um, go to graduate school, and I started taking night classes while I was still working because I was afraid after three or four years out of the school environment about going back to school. I thought, you know, maybe it was I feel insecure or too cool for school or would I be the oldest one in the classroom? I didn't know what to expect. So Mm. I thought by taking one or two evening classes while I was still working would be sort of a great introduction to going back to school. Uh, And I I was really lucky to get into NYU's program because it's an incredible nutrition program. And after a year, I quit my job and I went back to school full time to become a registered dietitian and get my master's in science. Cool. So that's what you finished with. Mm-hmm. And now where do you think this passion around nutrition and food came from? Because you're this horse girl, sorry, equestrian. <laughs> horse girl is fine. No insult there at all. <laughs> well, I'm messing with you. I mean, hosts have to keep the listeners interested, right? So as part, as part, so you, where do you think this passion for nutrition and lifestyle came, came from? You know, I think it was actually always there. It was just never spelled out for me. 
I think if I had gone to a job fair while I was in college and dietitian um, or nutritionist with a private practice was one of the options, it would have sparked um, a connection for me. It just, mm -hmm. I didn't know this existed. And mm -hmm. I've always been a foodie. I've always been very focused on how food makes me feel as an athlete growing up. Uh, I've always been interested in how to optimize feeling better and vitamins and supplements. And even from a young age, I was interested. So it, it all, like, it's like the stars aligned once I realized that that was also a career. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, it made perfect sense once it hit me. I mean, and who knows, maybe if my college had a nutrition program, uh, it wouldn't have worked or I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Maybe I needed to be at the age that I was when it all hit me. But it now, just made total sense once I realized. Let's, let's go back a second. You went to see this nutritionist for your own benefit. How mm -hmm. did that, what did that do to you when you started to follow what she was recommending or at least observing or did you observe some of her recommendations? Yeah, I mean, of course, I was paying, you know, a decent amount of money. Well, I was going to follow does. whatever she People told me. <laughs> We're not paid a lot in those jobs then, in my uh, assistant jobs. So um, every penny was important. But I, I just felt different. And I think the coolest thing for me was that I felt really empowered. You know, I, I think walking for a lot of people, and even myself back then, you know, walking through a supermarket and trying to figure out what's healthy can be really daunting or mm. choosing from a menu. Wait, but wait, this has protein, but wait, should I not eat this? It, it was sometimes the, the, the options could be overwhelming, you know, it, the decision fatigue. Um, and I think all of a sudden I was like, right, I can eat the foods I like and still feel really good. I just need to make some smarter choices or perhaps not eat so late at night because I was working long hours. And Small changes for me had a massive overhaul on how I felt, um, my digestive system, my energy levels, my skin, everything. It really, it's really amazing that it was a surprise to me that ch changing the way you're eating would change the way you feel. Oh, but shocker. it did. Oh, shocker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't, well, and we think about our populations. We have a wellness and stress assessment, uh, Brooke, that our company produced and produces and people take. And it, it does still amaze me that many people are really not linking their condition in life based on their lifestyle and their sort of nutritional habits. Uh, they, just, they just don't link the two or won't take personal responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Um, I, and I, I think I was aware. I just think that perhaps working in the beauty industry and I mean, I was editing articles on diet that there was so much information for me that I sort of just needed to figure out one language to follow mm. um, and how to weed out a lot of the nonsense. Um, for sure. And I think a lot of that has basically been the motivation for my media work because I want to help be part of the solution instead of just adding more noise to the system. Mm. So what did you, I'll have a personal story that we'll link back to your book here in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do after you graduated? So now you have your master's degree, you're, you're focusing on nutrition. Where, where did you go from there? So right away I launched a private practice. I had a vision the entire time that I was in graduate school for four years of what my practice would look like. And I wanted a private practice. I was trained to do clinical work in a hospital, but I just wasn't interested in that. I wanted to work one-on-one -on -one in an office basically helping people learn to make healthier choices. And when I graduated and passed the RD exam, um, it was at a time in my life where my husband and I, we were living together. We weren't yet married. We were about to get married in four months. We, you know, and we had no, no major bills besides rent, right? So we didn't have a mortgage. We didn't have kids. We had no major responsibilities besides ourselves. And we looked at each other and he was basically like, if you want to go on this journey, now's the time where your income is not as important to sort of become a startup. And right away I started a private practice and I, my first office I shared with some psychologist that I was allowed to rent from two days a week, but I had to wheel my giant scale 
in and out of the closet because he didn't want his patients seeing my scale. <laughs> so I was like a hidden secret, it felt like, in this office, which was really funny. And I started going to the office and I had no clients. And I would sit there and create handouts and concepts and ideas and I was constantly working until finally I got um, one referral from someone I knew, you know, and then it snowballed and eventually I was able to move out of this office and I bought my own space and my practice really built up. But it's really funny. I started a practice with nobody, <laughs> with no one coming. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Now, not to date you, but when did that occur? What, what year was that? <laughs> now, it's about 15 years ago when I started my practice. Mm. Well, what that means is that you have experience, Brooke. <laughs> yes. Now, is the police officer behind you, is, are they coming to get you? Is that what that sound is? <laughs> this is quiet for New York City. This is as of quiet course. as it gets here. <laughs> this is like a lullaby uh, for my kids. <laughs> yeah, been, there are more than once, and Blue Bloods is probably one of my favorite shows, since Tom Selleck <laughs> and I look alike. Well, no, there you go. I'm only a foot shorter than he is. So that being, <laughs> that being <laughs> said, I'm dating this show for sure. If you're listening to this in 2040, I think uh, Tom is gone. Uh, no. He's not on the show anymore. We'll miss you, Tom. So uh, you're doing this nutritional work. Where did the book get birthed out of, The Sugar Detox? So The Sugar Detox was actually my second book that I wrote. My first book was shortly after having my first daughter. I wrote uh, uh, Healthy Eating for Pregnancy which um, was a really great introduction to the book world and the publishing world um, as an author. And then the sugar detox was next, and I had met a, a dermatologist at an event that we were both speaking at, and we just hit it off. And we started talking about fun ideas to work together. And then it just sort of snowballed into this idea of writing this book together about how sugar can damage not only your waistline, but it can also prematurely age you. And mm -hmm. we co-wrote this together, and it was an amazing, amazing experience. And I think, in all honesty, I think the sugar detox was like a year or two ahead of its time. Uh, people still, at, when we first launched, were not willing to admit that sugar was truly the enemy. Mm -hmm. And then about a year after we launched, some of the big names, um, like Mark Hyman and others, you know, all came out with sugar books. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm really proud of the work that we did with the Sugar Detox. I think it was, you know, really on the cusp of the, the beginning of the change of the way we thought of food back then. So it, 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 was, it was a really great experience writing that book. For sure. Now, we're going to get into the book in a moment, but my personal story, and I apologize, Secrets of Success listeners, you've heard this story before, but in 1988, I was misdiagnosed as manic depressive and put on lithium. And it was really in an assistance, Brooke, of a friend of mine, a psychologist out of El Paso, Texas, Sharon, who said, listen, I don't think you're depressed. I think there's something else. So at my own insistence, I... Um, demanded that the doctor do a glucose tolerance test and found out that I was an extreme hypoglycemic. And wow. so I was, I was medicating myself with a gallon of Coke a day back then. And so it was interesting. The doctor never occurred to him that maybe my diet was leading to this situation. And after going on lithium for about a week or two, I was ready to kill somebody because my system didn't need it. And I was just angry, angry, and just irritable to an unfallible kind of level. So I'm with you around the sugar side because a lot of times people are not looking at their diet. So if we think about the sugar detox, and we know that sugar can be as addictive as cocaine, uh, what are some of the things you're teaching people, yet we still have sugar prevalent all around us and hidden in our foods, what are you teaching and what can we teach the audience today for them you know, to start on a, maybe a new path of freedom and be able to treat themselves healthier? You know, I, I think it's, it's, well, that's a fascinating story, by the way. I, I've never heard of something like that and I am blown away. And thank goodness for this friend to really motivate you uh, to get tested because who knows mm -hmm. what direction that could have gone in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think when it comes to sugar, compared to when the sugar detox first came out, it's less shocking to people to realize that sugar is still the enemy. 
yet people are still surprised where they find sugar or where I tell them that there's sugar. Um, you know, the first step I tell most people is to stop adding sugar to things. So if you add sweetener to your coffee, if you add honey to your yogurt, maple syrup on your pancakes, little things like that, which might sound small, but it's a habit and a lifestyle choice when you constantly are sweetening things up. Oh, hang so on. For I'm, I'm going I'm to interrupt the expert, Brooke. Go you for it. You said maple syrup. Isn't that healthy for you? What's healthy about maple syrup? Well, that's what they say, and I don't know who they is, but I'm, well, that's, that's I'm, being, the devil's, who's I'm they? being the devil's advocate versus processed <laughs> white sugar or honey, which has certain enzymes. That everybody says, that, okay, this is great for me. Right, so, so there's better options than plain white granulated sugar for sure, you know, and does maple syrup perhaps have some micronutrients? Is it from nature? Sure, but does it still cause your blood sugar to go up? Can it still be a contributing factor to type 2 diabetes, to weight gain, to um, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and more? Of course, it's an added sugar. Mm. So what are some so, of the surprising, and thanks, Brooke, in, in playing with the host here. Is, <laughs> uh, my advocate, I mean, uh, listeners who have listened to our show for a long time, my job is to advocate on behalf of the listeners. So what are the questions that they want to ask the guests right now? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about uh, sugar, so you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to have honey and, and maple syrup. Uh, what are some of the places where sugar is hidden that a lot of people don't think about that they need to kind of consider? So anytime that you see something that has a label claiming to be fat-free is normally a sneaky way of saying high in sugar. Because when something needs to be stored or be a preservative or last on a shelf, have some sort of shelf life, fat or sugar are two of the biggest preservatives that the companies use. So if there's not fat, in order for things to be shelf-stable, there's going to need to be a lot of sugar. So a lot of the salad dressings that claim to be fat-free are often super high in sugar, right? Tomato sauces, little things like that. So it doesn't even have to be foods that are sweet, but anything labeled fat-free often is high in sugar. And then a lot of those packaged things like salad dressings, tomato sauce, marinades, all of that is just pouring sugar on top of what could be a really healthy option. If people look at the label, Brooke, on processed meats, a lot of them have hidden corn syrup. Mm -hmm. So explain to the audience uh, why corn syrup is not good for us. Well, the, the, main, the number one reason is because it's, it's a sugar, right? And when you're injecting sugar into your body, you're going to be having sugar issues. And the higher your blood glucose levels go, your blood sugar levels go, the more insulin your body needs to release to tell that sugar where to go. And the more frequently that we're releasing the insulin, we're pro it's like sort of yelling at your kids, it becomes less and less effective. And that's when we become insulin resistant. And that's where you become concerned about metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes and more. So all of that sugar, whether it's corn syrup or not, isn't good for you. In addition, when it comes to the corn, like the refined corn sugars, whether it's um, high fructose corn syrup or just corn syrup itself, um, is really where it comes from and the sort of extra impact it will have on your body. So, you know, for people who are trying to avoid GMOs or um, certain pesticides that are relatively scary, most of the time high fructose corn syrup really hits those two targets pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about, and thank you for that, um, I mean, a lot of us can be addicted to these different foods. And of course, you know, uh, if you think about Robert's movie, The Skinny on Obesity, you know, from the University of California, and just uh, how many foods, 20, 30,000 are invented every year, and they're not really foods, they're just processed stuff. Uh, how do I, how can I, if I'm a listener, how can I start weaning out and start breaking these habits? Because this, a lot of this food is meant to be addictive. So what, how would you coach me? I'm now your client, I'm sitting in front of you. What are the steps you want me to take? The first step after we're no longer adding sugar to things, right? So you're not sweetening your coffee, your teas, your drinks as much. The first step is to just read the ingredients. The nutrition label is really deceiving and confusing, but everyone knows how to read sugar. So 
So look at the ingredients in the foods that you're purchasing with some sort of ingredient label. And in the top five, it should never be sugar. But if it's not a sweet option, there shouldn't be sugar in the ingredient list to begin with. It's not necessary. So that's what's really important is to start looking at all the, the foods that we use regularly and see how much sugar is in the ingredient list. Hmm. And then anything after that that the listeners could think about. So I'm going to look at the list. I'm going to stop adding sugar. <laughs> For some people listening, so yeah, that's going to happen. Yes, but be disciplined. You're worth it. So the next one is look at that label. What would be maybe a third thing that I could consider? You know, then the third thing is start going for the more naturally low in sugar foods. So making sure that your plate is filled with good quality protein, good quality greens and vegetables, um, really reducing the amount of refined carbohydrates. So the rice, the flour, the pasta, the white potatoes, let's really reduce those um, to once a day in total out of all of them. And then fruit, while no one's ever had to come sit on my couch because of eating fruit, what fruit can do, because it is a natural form of sugar, it can sometimes trigger sugar cravings in people, mm -hmm. or it could sort of help you with that plateau. So I normally ask people to limit to one to two servings of fruit a day, especially when they're trying to work on their sugar cravings. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Now, for the audience, in you know, I know people have listened to health shows from us. I had Dr. Tom O'Brien on, and he was amazing. Uh, can you explain to the audience what metabolic disorder is? Sure. So anytime that we do something that throws off our hormonal system, you can sort of have a cascading effect through the rest of your body. And metabolic syndrome is one of them. Um, so it's really when your body isn't functioning at the level that it needs to, whether because you're insulin resistant whether because you're having high levels of ghrelin, which is hormones that make you hungry due to lack of sleep or the foods that you're eating. Um, it could be due to a lot of different reasons, but it's when you look at your whole lifestyle package, so it's your sleep, your food, and your movement, those three main things, there, there's bigger reactions than just the number on the scale. And it's your hormonal reactions that then will cause health issues or health solutions. Mm. Of course. And uh, you know, I just encourage the audience members to pay attention to this because it, the five most unhealthiest countries in the world is North America, is like Mexico, US, Canada, UK, and Australia. So we're kind of a trifecta in North America. We've, we get a, all three of us win as being the poorest health countries. So with that, any final uh, thought about sort of nutrition and health before we go to your husband's story? And just that journey there and what happened with uh, your advocacy on that side of things. But now I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. You're coaching me. What, any other sort of final thoughts about my wellness so that I can be healthier, you know, right after listening to this show? You know, I think that a lot of people can take more of their health responsibilities into their own hands. And that can mean a lot of different things for different people. But what I'm referring to is sort of being your own nutritionist. And... It's a really interesting experience to do something as simple as keeping a food diary and writing down everything you eat and what time you eat and then sort of putting together how you're feeling. So if you're someone who's struggling with fatigue or headaches or digestive issues, just getting some sort of quick um, method of writing headaches gone, headaches on a scale of one to ten, whatever works for you, but keeping that food diary I think is the best tool that anybody can use because then you can see, all right, well, I haven't lost any weight in the last two weeks. Let me really take a look at my food diary. And uh, you know what? I didn't realize I had a lot of cocktails that week or I had a lot of more starches than I planned on. Or for me, I, I'll keep a food diary every so often if I'm feeling perhaps a little fatigued or some of my jeans are feeling a little tight. And that's when I realize that I start eating too much fruit. Um, you know, it's healthy, I'm cutting it up for my kids, and I'm just popping a couple of extra bites in my mouth, and I'm just sometimes not aware. So I think something as simple as a food diary, which doesn't cost you anything besides a couple of minutes a day, is the best tool that anyone can use when they're trying to get a handle on their health. And then if they need some more support, they're already coming to a doctor or a dietitian with so much information 
and more knowledge about what works in their body so that they can have a more effective appointment with their healthcare practitioner. Mm. Now, I don't want to get politically incorrect, Brooke, but, uh, and I have many friends who are, uh, are few friends who are doctors, but a lot of cases, uh, medical doctors really don't go down this route. I mean, you talked about Mark and function, uh, functional medicine and, you know, he's an MD and sick and then getting better. Um, why is we still have a lot of medical practitioners or doctors that really don't focus on this side of things for their, their clients and, and, and what does that mean maybe? You know, I think a lot of it is the education that they're getting. They're doing the best they can with the information they have, um, which is why I think it's really important to go in there with the tools to be like, look, every time I eat lactose, I get stomach aches. Or every time I'm eating these kind of foods is when I have my migraines. So you might have to connect the dots for them, but then it should be pretty validating for them to say, look, then you need to do an elimination diet. Let's take this out. Um, and even if they're not able to validate you the way you need to be, you're already so many steps forward by sort of being able to pinpoint some of your own triggers and issues um, that either you can find yourself a different doctor or a healthcare practitioner or just continue to sort of work with yourself and fine-tune what makes you feel best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. So, Brooke, thank you for just that information of us thinking about it. I mean, it makes common sense. Most people listening to this, they get it. Uh, yet it's not necessarily common practice. I mean, I was, it's an interesting concept. You're a parent, I'm a parent. My kids are a little bit older now. They're going to be 25 and 24 this year. Uh, but it's interesting as parents, they said, you know, if you do a really good job, we'll go get you a treat. What's the treat usually? You know, some kind of sugary <laughs> product. So it's almost like we have this, this counter culture where, where the reward is this thing that can slowly kill you. And I'm being dramatic, but do you get what I'm saying there, Brooke? I, I do, I do. And I tell a lot of my clients who are parents and struggling that, you know, for the most part, dessert should never be a reward or food should never be a reward um, because it's nourishment. Uh, yet I'm the one that comes to pick up my school, my kids every day, and that's when they have their cookies. Like for us, dessert happens right after school, so it's not after dinner, so it's not you know, sugar before bed. Um, so a lot of the parents are like laughing because I'm the one showing up with like giant chocolate chip cookies for my kids to split, but that's what works for us. And I also don't want anything to be on a pedestal that if they go to a friend's house and they see cookies that they get too excited and can't control themselves. So I think exposure is really important, but figure out what works for you. My kids don't get dessert after any other meal besides, you know, after school. Mm. So that's, that's what works for us. And other people can be the same or, you know, you can find your own, your own plan that works. Um, you know, but I think that having dessert as a reward versus like the experience of going to a really cool bakery or something like that, which would be a different story because um, there's like a life experience happening there. Uh, mm -hmm. it is not a great setup for your kid's relationship with food. Mm. Well, thank you, Brooke, for that uh, area. We can always coach ourselves around it. A lot of cultural pressures with um, the sugary treats around us. And, of course, every corner store has it, too. Now, <laughs> with that, Brooke, uh, share with the audience. We have about, oh, 10, 12 minutes left. Uh, share with us your story about your husband's situation with his autoimmune disease and then led you down this new path with CBD and and some people will know what it is some people won't but just take us a little bit on this journey with your your husband's situation and then what that drove you to sure so while I was you know building my successful private practice and helping everybody else feel better um, my husband and father of my kids was actually feeling worse and worse and shortly after the birth of our first daughter, he was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and was given every treatment under the sun from uh, chemotherapy to um, steroids to some other invasive treatments and um, alternative testing and treatment for him. And he was just getting worse. And so the more research I did, I, I found a lot of connection to a lot of his issues with certain diets. So I put him on the paleo diet. He had tiny bit improvement, but not enough to sustain it. 
I put him on the Walls Protocol by this incredible Dr. Terry Walls, who basically has come up with a protocol for helping people put their MS into remission, and she is a rock star in my world. And so since my husband's symptoms are very similar to MS, I put him on this diet. And near the end of it, the, the guy was eating like liver and cabbage for the majority of his meals. Mm. And the fact that he stayed married to me um, is kind of impressive. So I'll, I'll always owe him <laughs> for putting up with me during this. But I was just desperate to help the father of my children feel better. You know, um, someone that I love, it, it, it hurts seeing them not feel well. Mm. So um, after, it was pretty much after the birth of our second daughter, he said to me, no more diets. <laughs> um, I just want to live a normal life. I know I'm in pain, but just sort of be my wife and not my practitioner anymore. And I like, I still joke to this day that I wish like he could have asked for a divorce and I would have been more comfortable <laughs> than not being able to like help him with his diet. But I understood. So while I was not helping him, I was still secretly researching. And around this time I had kept finding articles about CBD and pain and I knew nothing about CBD other than the fact that it was derived from industrial hemp. And my only experience with hemp was hemp seeds. So my only experience with pot was in college. <laughs> so I, um, I basically found some more research and I found a brand that I could recommend to him. And I said, look, I don't know much about this. Eat whatever you want. It's derived from pot. Just give it a shot. And my husband is what we call cannabis friendly. Um, which is a very polite term for pothead. And he um, was totally fine saying yes to this. And mm. it was about a month of him actively using CBD. And we took our oldest daughter out to learn how to ride a bike, which any parent knows is physical, even for the healthiest ones of us. And that was the first time that my husband was able to stand on his feet for longer than 10 minutes in about five years. Mm. And at first we're like, maybe he's just excited because this is such like a, um, a moment in parenting. And yet like he wasn't just standing. The guy was running with my daughter on the bike and it was shocking. And afterwards he had, he could hardly walk home and he needed to recover, but that was the most he'd been able to push himself in years. And the only difference was the CBD. And that's what made me really need to take a good look into the research and the more I learned about CBD, it was the more inspired I got. And so I started learning about CBD and anxiety. And for a lot of my clients, they struggle with emotional eating. So I took, as an experiment, I took a couple of clients that had been long-term with me that I had a good relationship with that I could say, look, I don't know that much about it. I'm investigating some research, but I think this could be really good with your emotional eating. And we plotted time for four of them for the month of August to use CBD ahead of time. So before they left the office, if they were emotional eaters at night, um, right after they put their kids to bed to sort of preempt those binge eating moments. All four clients had a complete turnaround in their health and behavior when they were using CBD. And it blew my mind enough that I said, that's it, I need to go back and learn everything I can. And so I enrolled in this online program to become a cannabis practitioner. And the more I learned about cannabis and CBD, the more I realized that I couldn't find the right product for my clients and for myself. There's really cool products out there for my husband who's clinically really ill. There's great products out there for people who just sort of want to like try it once and chew a gummy. But there wasn't any products that really felt like they were targeting the wellness market. And people who like myself feel good, but just always are looking for ways to optimize their days. Um, and that was the majority of my clients as well. And that's where I did what every entrepreneur <laughs> thinks to do. Well, if I can't find it, I'm going to make it myself. And that's how Daily Habit was born. Mm. And of course, uh, for people listening, that's dailyhabitcbd.com. And we'll mention that again. So Thank you. Uh, now that's a whole nother story, which we probably don't have enough time to go into, but let's briefly kind of go in it. Let's just start another business because you want to, uh, how did that unfold 
as far as being able to even create your own product. And it, I mean, there's, there's science behind it. There's there's source products behind it. There's manufacturing. There's all these things. Uh, just maybe briefly take us through some of those things that you went through. You know, I had some really interesting experience um, in the past with working with companies and consulting for brands and other vitamin companies. So I had a bit more of a behind the scenes point of view than I think someone just starting from scratch would. And I think what was great were a lot of my contacts. So I started asking a lot of questions from people who I trusted. And each person would then introduce me to somebody else who could answer more questions. And you know, between a couple of my contacts and a couple of their introductions, I was able to find a facility who could manufacture it for me. I could find a formulator who I trusted. Um, and then we started finding the suppliers. And because of my education now with cannabis, I was able to have criteria. So it was really easy to narrow down exactly what I was looking for. Um, and to have this really strict criteria, while it made it more challenging in other ways, it made it super easy just to, you know, weed away the, the companies that weren't going to be right for us to work with. Pardon the pun, and weed away? Exactly. That, yeah, that was intentional. I'm going to well take done. full, full well credit done. for that one. Thank you. <laughs> well done, Brooke. Well done. <laughs> so what was the criteria you wanted in your product that wasn't available elsewhere? That I wanted it to be a powder. Uh, I wanted it to feel more wellness than the tinctures on the market, which feel much more like our pills, which feel clinical and for people who are sick. I wanted it to feel well and wellness. Um, and so I wanted a powder. I needed it to be full spectrum, which means that you have not only the CBD, but you have all the other awesome components of the plant, which all work together uh, to make CBD more effective. I wanted it grown in the U.S., I wanted it organically grown, um, and I wanted to be able to trace all of our steps and be able to see the farm that our plants were grown in. I wanted real transparency. Can you, for the, the benefit of the members or audience listeners, is what is CBD really? So, so just take us through what is this product. And, of course, uh, for listeners, we're not talking about TH where people are going out and getting high. Uh, most people don't realize the cannabis plant has all you know or hemp plant has all these uh possibilities as far as the miracle plant but what is cbd actually what is it sure so cbd is stands for cannabinoid and it's a compound that's found both in the hemp plant and the cannabis plant now the main difference between those two plants while they look alike and they have pretty much 90 percent of all the same components it's the main difference is the amount of thc which is what gets you stoned. So industrial hemp, which is where the CBD that most of us are working with, or, and that's what daily habit CBD is made from, um, is, has all of the cool components of cannabis, but has very, very minimal, if any, levels of THC. So my product will not get you stoned high or give you the munchies. And yet it has, you know, there's well over 100 compounds in these plants that are known for health pro their health properties. And so the science is showing that when you consume it all together, that it's more effective than just isolating one strain out. So just taking a CBD isolate, which would just be like taking vitamin C, mm -hmm. um, you know, out of, a, uh, out of a food, which can be good for you, but more effective is when you take like that multivitamin and they can all work together. And that's how I like to look at all of the cannabinoids that are found in um, the hemp plants. And so for us, it was really important that we had a full spectrum plants so that you've got CBD, um, a tiny, tiny amount of THC just to make the CBD more effective. And then all the other awesome components in there, which make um, our product that much more effective. Now, what's the story with your husband? How's he doing? You know, he's doing okay. It's, a, you know, it's a degenerative disease. Um, he's certainly getting worse as um, time goes on. But his quality of life is remaining pretty steady thanks to uh, CBD, thanks to a lot of his other um, supplements that he uses, like super high levels of fish oil for him is really helping his mental health um, while dealing with chronic pain. Um, so he's doing okay. It's, you know, every, every day is different with him. Um, 
and it's going to be, you know, a, a struggle for the rest of his life that he's going to be dealing with. But if we can make each day feel a little bit better, um, then I think I'm doing something right for him. Well, can you believe it, Brooke? We're already to the end of our show. Like, I could probably talk to you for another couple hours, but those people that are listening, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> you can find out. So if people want to find out more about you, where do they go to find out more about you, Brooke? Sure, they can go to dailyhabitcbd.com. And it has my story and connections to all of my social media and anything you could possibly want to know about me. And you said you're going to have a little gift for the Secrets of Success listeners. And and what is that gift going to be? Sure. We'd love to give everyone who listens, you know, a big discount on any order. And so if you go into dailyhabitcbd.com and use the coupon code SECRETS, SECRETS with an S at the end, um, uh, you'll get 25% off any of your order. Mm, well, thank you for that. Of so, course. Brooke, you know, when I, you know, as a, a wellness advocate, and sometimes my discipline isn't as good as it could be, and I have some chocolate chip cookies at 3 o'clock, uh, <laughs> what, what would you say as sort of closing comments to the listeners for them to really uh, go, take their wellness to the next level or at least address some of the things that you've talked about today beyond what we've, you've said already? Beyond what I've said, I'm, oh God, I might have used it all up. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it. that people need to, to know that wellness is not black and white. And that the truth is some days that chocolate chip cookie is part of your wellness program. And some days not going to the gym and instead spending an extra half an hour drinking coffee at home might be part of that. We can be so black and white where if we don't do it 100%, we're not going to do it at all. And I think that it's really important to remember that um, self-care is part of wellness, to go a little bit easier on ourselves, that every meal and every bite you take is another opportunity to make a healthier choice. Um, And really just, you know, treat your body well. And that could mean a lot of different things for different people. Um, But, you know, like a plant, we need good food, sunlight, and water. So treat yourself well. Mm. Well, Brooke, stay on the line, but thank you very much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, SOS listeners, Secrets of Success listeners, you know, your wellness and health matters because you can only bring your best self when you are at your healthiest or optimum health that you can be at. And as Brooke said, hey, let's not get guilty about it. Let's not beat ourselves up and create more stress. But let's take some intentional, responsible steps to go forward to say, hey, how can I be better? So go look up uh, Brooke's site, find out more about what she's doing and just all the different things that are there. But also for you, take responsibility. Maybe go and buy her book, The Sugar uh, Detox, as a way to learn more about getting that out of your system and diet as well. Now, as always, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, leave a positive comment or rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keats. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.